cats and kittens. We are back with another very special stay-at-home self-quarantine episode of the BrandoCast. Back for round two. One of my favorite guys on the planet Earth. I cede the high musical knowledge ground to this gentleman. He, of course, wears many, many hats in real life. He is the host of the Friday 40. He is the co-host of the Homophilia podcast. His book, Party of One, is still available via Amazon. And his latest piece is up on Esquire right now. The summer of 2021 will be the summer of butter. Correct. Ladies and gentlemen, that can only mean one thing. He's back. The mighty Dave Holmes. Brando. Hello. What? is the summer of butter. Well, I'll tell you. Um, so last Friday, or I guess Tuesday at midnight, or Thursday at midnight, that's how the days work, um, BTS, the uh, Korean boy band, global sensation BTS, dropped their latest single. It is called Butter. It is fantastic. Okay, it's so, so I, because because... I, I had Nell Scovell on this podcast to talk yeah. about BTS. Uh-huh. It was the first time in my life that I learned about BTS. Oh, yeah. I realized that they are responsible for like 4% of South Korea's GDP or it's something wild. like this. Okay, yeah. so is butter what everyone is listening to right now? I think so. Yeah, I'm. I it, my own experience leads me to believe that that is true. I love it. And I am in no way its intended audience, but it's just such a good pop song. And, um, w- you know, when pop music is done really, really well, there's nothing there's nothing quite like it. But then, okay, so, but then also Counting Crows released their EP, Butter Miracle, Sweet One. And I was like, well, this is a trend piece. I just got to think of a third. And so my third was just counter butter, like butter that you put on the counter so that it achieves room temperature and it makes spreading on your toast easier. Okay, I, I want everyone to read the article, but I will say this, that I don't hope I'm not ruining anything. You mentioned a toaster. Yes. In the article. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Can you ex- please explain to people the specialness of this toaster? Because I kind of I mean, need to get it. It's, uh, it is called Balmuda the Toaster. Uh, Balmuda is a Japanese uh, maker of appliances. And they have, like, I think there's a tea kettle. There, there are only a few products. Like Apple, they only do a couple things, but they do them very well. And the toaster, okay, so the toaster is, uh, it is a toaster oven. And it, there's a little, uh, it comes with like this little, t- like a dollhouse mug, um, that you pour five cc's of water into. There's a, a little <laughs> fill line, and you put that five cc's of water into a slot in the top. And th- so then you you know you put your bread in, you close whatever. The the appliance fills with steam. It steams the bread because you know how toasting can dry the bread out. Uh huh. Not with Balmuda the toaster. So it steams the bread, <laughs> and then um, so that makes the inside very tender, and but then it also creates an environment that when the toasting starts, which it does in a series of like you know pulsating toasting stages, um, it it makes the bread. It's like caramelized, so it's like very crisp on the outside and very tender on the inside. It's stupid how good the toast is. And you get mad at every piece of toast you've ever had before. This is what we've all been searching for our entire lives, which is why we buy toaster ovens over and over and over again, hoping to get guess what what you 
just described. They do it. Yeah. They do it. So you're the search is over as, as <laughs> uh, yeah, get it. It is not cheap, but if indeed you do keep buying toaster ovens over and over, I think it will pay for itself very quickly because you'll only have to buy the one. Do you have a favorite member of BTS and why? Um, I do. Uh, I do. It changes from time to time, but I do. You know, this is called a bias. No, tell me. Okay. Just tell me, so, tell me, tell me. Within the world of of K-pop, which I I think BTS kind of transcends K-pop at this point, but um, but within that world, which I was kind of, uh, I wrote a story about BTS for Esquire last year, and, and so I kind of had to immerse myself in that world. And um, so within the the groups, within the fandoms, you have what is called your bias. So you might say, uh, I'm I I am or I have a, a J-Hope bias. But then, but then, because the looks and the attitudes and the styles keep changing, um, the next video and the next like song cycle, um, let's say maybe uh, Jimin comes in with a new look or a new attitude that strikes you, that is what's called a bias wrecker. So, so Jimin then would be said to have wrecked your bias. Because now, now you're like, it is as though you're cheating on the one who was your bias. So um, I do have one. I'm going to keep it to myself because I, I think it's ungentlemanly. <laughs> okay. Here's the final question on BTS. Because okay. I don't think Nels Cavell and I got to the bottom of this. No. I believe that the oldest member of BTS is due to serve his country in the military. The, uh, he was, but it has been uh, at least postponed, if not canceled entirely right that okay, would be that's Jin. What I, okay <laughs> and uh and you do have to uh you do have to complete your service by age 27 i think um but yeah so so he was he was due um but yeah it's been it's been put off everybody take a timeouts later mm-hmm. on and yeah. get into butter get, get into, into butter. bts oh, you'll be glad they ain't get. going anywhere uh, let me, you know what? I'm going to look since I am at my computer. Um, it like, it got to a hundred million YouTube views in like 10 seconds. Right. Of course. Um, and of course set a record and then broke that record. And, um, some, one of their other songs is like one of the most digitally downloaded songs of all time too. Unique, right. Yeah. It's, it's something like dynamite, uh, dynamite. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, they have something like the six six of the top 10 uh, all-time most-watched YouTube videos. Right, okay, so they're not going to become O-Town. No. Although, (laughs) you know what? O-Town, still touring. They are? Well, I mean, not right now, but yeah. (laughs) So I, um, another thing I did recently, and this is why I love my job, because I'll just get, like, a dumb idea and pitch it, and they'll be like, yeah, go do it. Um, So, you know, uh, remember LFO? I, yes, I do. I am familiar with LFO. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, ridiculous, a ridiculous, like talented, but known for like one or two of the most ridiculous songs that ever happened in the history of the world. Right. Summer Girls and Girl on TV and whatever. Um, So there was a trio. Now, two of them are have died of cancer. Oh, and um, so there's one remaining uh, LFO guy. And he just did like a one man tribute show last month, which like, you know, is very, it's very sad, 
but I, you know, and I interviewed him and it was like, it was obviously very emotional. And then I watched the show and, and it too was very emotional, but then it was like, Hey, let's, you know, how about some music? And then it's, you know, Michael J. Fox was Alice P. Keaton, like you know, all these lines <laughs> in the song that are so insane. Um, so it was, it was, it really, I was feeling every emotion, but anyway, so that one surviving guy from LFO does a tour with O-Town and let, I think Ryan Cabrera. Sure. And, um, I feel like probably, you know, when it's convenient, a Lance Bass will stop by and MC sure. it. I think uh, it was supposed to have happened last summer, and Mark McGrath was going to do a few dates. So, is, is there an official boy band cruise? Because I feel like that has to be put together when when cruises open fully up. Um, well, I'll tell you. In, in <laughs> April of 2020, I was supposed to have been on the New Kids on the Block cruise. Oh shit! Okay, I had no. Um, of course. <laughs> yeah, because they. So I know those guys, and I love those guys. They're 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 great. They're like good people. And I love that they're still doing what they do. And they've found like a new way to, to relate to their fan base. And, um, it's wild to see them still like going on these tours and just blowing up. Um, but I've, I've been to a couple of their, their most recent tours where they'll, it'll be them and like, TLC and Nelly or them and Debbie Gibson and Tiffany and salt and pepper or whatever. It's always like a big package thing. And they're such fun shows. And the, you know, the eight year olds of 1991 are now 38 year olds and, you know, and they got a night away from the husband and kids and they got a plastic tumbler full of Pinot Grigio and, and they are ready to fucking throw down and, and so and they do a uh nuke on the block cruise every year and so so i've gotten to know the band a little bit and i've done some events with them uh over the last couple of years and i was supposed to have been on that cruise and if it ever happens again i sincerely hope that i get to do it without further ado there's nobody better to talk about what i want to talk about today we're talking about boy bands we're talking about bts right. we're talking about good music yes i'm going to present to mr dave holmes yes the year in rock and pop that I think is unparalleled in music history mm. in terms of just the overall awesomeness of albums and music released in this year. And I'm going to say to you, Dave Holmes, yes. 1984. Never, there's never been a better year. Born in the USA is the seventh studio album by American rock singer Bruce Springsteen. Mm-hmm. It was released on June 4th, 1984. It was promoted with a worldwide concert tour and seven singles that became top 10 hits, including Dancing in the Dark, Cover Me, Born in the USA, I'm on Fire, and Glory Days. Dude, when we get into this list, I I don't know if you you looked at this list in a long time, but when I get into this full master list of stuff that was Mm -hmm. released in 1984, uh, I think it's going to kind of blow your mind. However... Bruce Springsteen. I mean, okay, so I grew. Uh, okay, so first of all, I was 13 in the in the summer of 1984. So it's like the perfect summer for all of this to happen. Quick tangent. I, I believe yeah. my my feeling is what you start consuming at 13 sets the template for the rest of your life. Because 13, we finally got right. You've arrived a little bit. 
Maybe you have a little job. You've got a couple bucks. You know, you're able to buy things on your own. There's a yeah. little bit of freedom from the parents. The older yeah. kids have probably influenced you a little bit, but I think 13 is the time. So uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. Is, so keep it's going. It's a huge time. Also, you're you're like you're you're percolating with hormones <laughs> that that make it that make things better. Like they, it's like a drug. It heightens the experience of music of interpersonal interaction like everything's very important every song is very important um it's uh, it's a huge it's a huge time yeah i mean it's you know you, you spend the rest of your life trying to feel things as strongly as you felt them when you were 13 years old so um, give me a give me a portrait of dave holmes at 13 13 years old okay i'm uh well i'm in st louis missouri i did i didn't have a job that summer i was i guess i maybe mowed a couple of lawns or something like that. But, um, yeah, I was living in a, uh, in, in a subdivision in St. Louis, Missouri. I was, I guess, between seventh and eighth grade, uh, at a, at a seventh to 12th grade, uh, private boys Catholic school, uh, run by monks, which was exquisite torture for six years. Um, it was a, it was a great place to be. It was really like, it was fun in a million ways. It was terrifying in a million ways. I was like gay as hell and I knew it real early. <laughs> and, um, and this summer without getting too, uh, uh, like getting too explosive, began to figure out how to act on it a little bit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, um, and so, yeah, so there was a lot of, a lot of stuff. However, so like, like gay and horny and also racked with Catholic guilt. So ping ponging back and forth between, you know, bliss and shame. Um, it's also it's the eighties kids and which was a oh. very difficult, <laughs> different <Okay>. time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember, I, again, I don't want to get like super explicit, but uh, my first time, very low impact fooling around with another guy. Um, I, I was racked with Catholic guilt afterwards to the point where I threw up mm -hmm. at, at back at my house and, and I was like, well, that's it. I got AIDS. Like we just generated AIDS from the friction between our two bodies and now I have it and I'm going to die later today. Um, <laughs> oh, I mean, oh, you know, you, year old Dave. Oh. well, I mean, listen, young Catholic boys of in course. don't get a nope. lot of information about how HIV is none transmitted yeah none none at all uh, probably the ones in 2021 don't get a whole lot either but anyway so um but also i'm like it's so 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 into music largely because i have older brothers who i'm trying to emulate and they were kind of in they were into music the way that teenagers are and and so I, and that was like the only thing that i could do with them you know uh so i was you know, part of it is, is like, you know, family dynamics. And part of it is just like, I'm a big music nerd, but I'm, I'm like on my bike every day going to the West County mall to go to record bar, which was like the Sam Goody of, of St. Louis and, uh, and, you know, flipping through the 45s and looking at the, the local radio station, you know, top 40 charts and all that stuff. So when born in the USA came out, my okay, so my brothers are like eight and ten years older, and we had been we moved, I guess, in 1976 from New Jersey. Um, my dad was was there for a while, and then we moved back to St. Louis. And uh, and so my brothers had like Springsteen fever. They loved Bruce. <laughs> 
And, and uh, St. Louis loves loves Springsteen. St. Louis loves Springsteen. New Jersey loves Springsteen. Um, like, you know, my oldest brother went to Notre Dame and got there in like 79 and, and in his like dorm common area, there was a huge mural of Bruce. <laughs> and like, and whenever he would come and play, they'd go see him. And, and this was like at the darkness on the edge of town time where yeah. like shows were four hours long. And he was just, he was legendary. Right. And, and I remember my brothers didn't like Nebraska because it was too depressing. Mm-hmm. Um, which I was like, so art, can you really call yourself a fan then? But I didn't say it out loud. And then, uh, so then this summer, Born in the USA came out and Bruce was starting like dancing in the dark was starting to get played on pop radio, which was kind of unheard of. Um, and, and I was like, uh, like my interests and their interests might overlap. Like this Mm -hmm. might be the Mm -hmm. album that Mm -hmm. like really brings us close together that we'll never forget that summer. And, and I, uh, I went to the mall with my middle brother. Uh, and we were, I think we each, I think all three of us had to have our, each have our own copy and um and dancing with the dark was rising in the charts by then and i was like steve i think i think dancing in the dark is gonna go to number one which was really important <laughs> he didn't care as much um so he bought it i remember he bought i might not have gotten it until later but he definitely bought it and then came home and listened to it and really hated it um in fact i don't think either of my brothers liked it because there was a lot of synthesizer on it and like right, programmed right. drums and they were kind of in that world of like and it was more poppy. somehow illegitimate music or, or yeah. And it was more as, poppy. It was. Yeah, it definitely was. So, and I remember listening to it over and over and being like, surely there's something here that will, um, that will like connect them to the Springsteen that they loved. And we're going to, we'll make this relationship work. And, and it just, uh, I think maybe working on the highway was as close as, <laughs> and i like i think i liked it but also by this time i'm 13 and so things that are really huge i'm starting to get a little bit dubious of ah because i want yes. i don't i it's not i'm starting to realize it's not as cool to love the thing that everybody loves right 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 you well know? but you you i i think i can say this mm-hmm. i think you i think of you as a tastemaker and an influencer mm. well thank you so much you have impeccable taste Thank you. So that those are the early sort of um, the early signs of having taste. Uh, yeah, for sure. And also, I was also like, I remember this so clearly in seventh grade. Um, you know, new school it was all boys. It was very competitive, and like I tested well, but I was not a great student. I had like attention issues that we didn't have the language for at the time, and I for sure was not an athlete. And, and I, and I was a little too shy to be like funny yet. Um, and so I didn't quite know who I was and I, you know, and I loved music and I always had a Walkman on and I had like, you know, sometimes I'd have like little buttons on my, on my like sport coat. Oh, hell yeah. And, uh, and like, just cause I, th- I thought that was cool or whatever, but there, there was a, a kid, Jeff Keen in our class uh, <laughs> who was, he was this really good athlete and kind of a bad kid and whatever. And we were in the locker room and, uh, and I don't know how it came up, but he was like, Holmes, you're a punk rocker, aren't you? <laughs> did you have a style council? Did you have like a style council pin or, or a simple minds pin? English beat, English beat for sure. Maybe madness. Yeah, definitely a lot of like two tone. Which to those guys means punk rock. It means punk rock. And okay. I, I hadn't thought about who, I, well, I had thought extensively about who I was, but I didn't come to any answers until Jeff Keen was like, you're a punk rocker. And I was like, yeah. 
I am. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't, I still, I didn't and don't love hardcore, but in that moment I was like, yeah, I guess I'm kind of like a new wave punk rock kid. And that's, that's who I, that's who I am a little bit. You know, for me, it was the same thing. Cause, uh, because I grew up in New Mexico and I'm surrounded by metal. Uh-huh. I was going to see nothing but metal shows. I've said this on this podcast a billion times. Early 80s metal, Iron Maiden, ACDC, Judas Priest, Dio for yeah. days. But yeah. secretly, because of MTV, every time uh, People Are People by Depeche Mode comes on, I'm watching that. And any well, time an, you know, an early New Order video comes on, I'm watching that. I'm paying attention. Well, it's no. undeniable. That's yeah, it's unfucking deniable. You know what else is undeniable? What? Purple Rain is the sixth studio album by American recording artist Prince, released on June 25th, 1984, by Warner Brothers Records. It is, of course, the soundtrack to the 1984 film of the same name. This record spent 24 motherfucking weeks atop the Billboard 200 charts and was present on that chart for 122 weeks. Doves Cry and Let's Go Crazy reached number one on the Billboard Hot 100 charts. And, of course, Purple Rain peaked at number two. Bruce Springsteen, born in the USA, followed up by Prince. <laughs> Holy Christ balls. Wow, is Howie. Uh, I mean, now this is a huge thing that I loved because how can you not? I mean, it was, it was, there are not many times in like pop music history where the biggest thing and the highest quality thing and the most innovative thing are all the same thing. (laughs) But that was one. Nice. That was one of those times. And in a teeny tiny magical elf package. In a little frilly shirt, platform boot, uh, highly quaffed package. Um, Yeah, that was, I mean, you know, when Doves Cry, when that came out, I was like, I'm a little bit scared of this, and that's why I love it. Uh-huh. It was, it was sounded like it was from another planet. Why did my lights just go off? Um, it was Prince. That was Prince intervening with my lighting. Now, you, I'm sure, as a music aficionado, you were already aware of Prince. You Maybe you had 1999? I did not have a Prince album before Purple Rain. I don't okay. think. But I certainly, I mean, I knew all about 1999 and you know i knew the singles and all that and in fact i knew from um and i wrote about this a while ago there was uh across the river in east st louis there was a soul station and i don't remember the name of it but um but on like a cloudy day there was one big like console radio in our living room that would pick it up uh wow. this, like wild soul and funk station in east st louis and one day i turned it on and i heard controversy and i was like mm-hmm. uh, th- i don't know what this is but i'm i need th- to be near it at all times and uh and i yeah i just fucking loved it i i he was you know immediately legendary so okay so prince was like you know, Prince had, you know, the big singles from 1999 and then, uh, and then Purple Rain, uh, the movie was coming out and everybody was like, well, we got to go see Purple Rain. We got to go see Purple Rain. And then, um, I remember I had a, I had a friend or two over for a sleepover and, uh, we were watching Friday night videos and we saw like one of the first commercials for Purple Rain. And then it said Purple Rain rated R. And we were like, no, cause we couldn't go. None of our parents w- would take us and it was rated R. And so we just kind of were like, well, I guess that's just going to have to be a thing that we, you know, 
try to get somebody older to rent for us at movies to go or whatever. <laughs> um, can, you, can you explain quickly for people what Friday night videos were? Friday night videos was a show on NBC. It was in the Johnny Carson time slot on Friday night <laughs> on NBC. And it was 90 minutes of music videos. And so if you didn't have MTV, which we didn't at the time, that was your one outlet, one of two. We also had uh, opposite the first half hour of Saturday Night Live on Saturdays on uh, the CBS affiliate, we had a show called Hot Hit Video, (laughs) where it was the local DJs from KHTR in silhouette uh, introducing a half hour worth of videos. That 30 minutes of every week was very stressful going back and forth between Hot Hit Video and and the, the, I believe... uh, Billy Crystal and and uh, Christopher Guest season of Saturday Night Live. Right, of course. Yeah, going back and forth. You, you just you didn't want to miss a thing, and you couldn't watch two things. So uh, when Purple Rain, the week Purple Rain came out, I had my two best friends over that Friday, and again for a sleepover, and we went to the mall, and we again we each bought our own copies of Purple Rain. Uh, it, it was uh, Derek and John, and I remember that John had a bowl cut. Um, and, and like, I had started to kind of style my hair a little bit and Derek had gone a little bit spiky, but John still had the bowl cut. And I remember before we went to the mall, cause you never knew who you might see at the mall. I remember before we were going to go, I was like, John, I've got moose and I'm going to fix your hair. (laughs) And like, and my oldest brother overheard that. And the look that I got was like, you have transgressed. You have crossed a line. I don't know what's happening in this room, but I don't like it. Um, but it was like, I couldn't help it. It's my nature. John needed a new, a new look. Um, but anyway, yeah. So then we went to the mall, came back with purple rain, you know, did not let my parents look at the lyric sheet, a beautiful record. And and one that you can put on and listen to from start to finish unless one unless of those rare there are no duds no yeah. duds yeah i was lucky albuquerque single mom worked all the time we just went to the theater there was no law in albuquerque rated r didn't mean anything to anybody it was the wild west mm-hmm. and we barely have running water so we me peter schmidt noir aaron mahoney went wow. and saw purple rain during the day at the highland theater on central wow. uh, i we had mtv from the get-go albuquerque cable had it right away Mm. So we already knew Prince, but my, I remember the first time I saw Prince, I think you'll love this, was on USA's Night Flight. Oh. And it was controversy. Okay. Yup. But it was the black trench coat with yeah. the black bikini briefs. Oh, yeah. And I just remember going like, what's happening? What? <laughs> what is happening? Do you, Brando, do you know about the Night Flight app? I do know about the night flight app and I have dipped my toe into it because it takes me back to like an incredible place because that show kids listening to the podcast at home. It was just a potpourri of Uh, weird, crazy bullshit, stonery mm -hmm. things. Lenny Bruce uh, animated shorts. Yeah. uh, Concert footage stuff that they wouldn't play any anywhere else, but they knew that they had this captive audience of weirdos that would spend Friday and Saturday nights late watching night flight and i fucking love that show so much oh so much so much yeah i'm so into the night flight app it's crazy okay good um because yeah because they they now have night flight tv where you just pull it up and just whatever is on is on it's just you know it's their catalog on a loop and then they have just like full old episodes yeah. some of them with the commercials in 
I love it so much. It's really great. We that were, was the USA we didn't know Network. How good we had it. Yeah. No, we did. We did not know how good we had it. We 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 didn't realize that it was going to be so. It, that defined the USA Network for me. Absolutely. Right. There was they they weren't producing new shows or yeah. suits or dramas sure. or anything. There's one like not yet welcome. No, new, new, new. Night flight all day long. Yeah. And I think I think the first time that I saw the next artist on my list for Dave Holmes yeah. was also featured on Night Flight. Like a Virgin is the second studio album by American singer and songwriter Madonna, released on November 12th, 1984 by Sire Records. It became Madonna's first number one record in the U.S. and set the record as the first female album in history to sell over 5 million copies in America. Five singles were released from that record, including her first U.S. number one, Like a Virgin, Mm-hmm. And her first UK number one into the groove, Dave Holmes. Oh. I know you love Madonna. I do, right? Yeah. I really do. I really do. I can't. I can't front. I really do. Um, so in seventh grade at this old boys' <laughs> school, uh, when the first Madonna album came out, um, well, for you know, Holiday came out, and I think I think that was. Just, like maybe the winter before we started seventh grade, maybe, I don't know. And then, and then it was like, then it was borderline and lucky star. And, um, and it was like, there were like five of us who really got it. <laughs> and, and, and I don't, I still can't, pinpoint what it was that we all got or what that we I, all gravitated I, I think toward. it was new york right down yeah i think new that's york some of it cool. I, don't think, but I don't think we were sophisticated enough to know that yet okay I, there, but there was something there was just it, there was a quality to it and to the presentation that we all really loved and uh and then you know and then she was on the first video music awards on the you know the bridal cake wedding cake um, doing like a virgin, like weeks before the single even was released. And it was like, what, what's that all about? And it was like, we just, a bunch of us really gravitated. I, I had a big picture of Madonna in my locker from Rolling Stone. Um, Mr. Coles, our algebra teacher was like, that's the name of the Virgin Mary, like, <laughs> but it's also her name. There was, that was, it was very controversial, but anyway, so the five of us who really got it are to a person, the five gay boys in our class. <laughs> but I, see, I would say, I, I, I'm going to make this pitch to you. I think what she captured, mm-hmm. we, we weren't sophisticated enough. I'm in Albuquerque. Yeah. But I have the sense that this is a downtown girl. This is sure. a girl that can go to any club in the world and yeah. feel perfectly at ease. She's an artist and yeah. she's got fucking talent. And it's, it's inarguable. Yeah. When she walks in the room, she's the center of attention. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 There's a, there's like a, a bossiness. I know that word is like gendered, but like, um, yeah, it's just it was just not a thing. And it and it's to, even to say, as we, of course, all had to do that, we were like, she's hot or whatever. It was like it wasn't that. Right. I mean, she's certainly attractive, but she's not like the appeal was not, you know, uh well, for straight like boys at that time, it was Phoebe Cates. 
Sure. Phoebe, Phoebe Case was the beauty aesthetic. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Who would go on to marry Kevin Klein of my all male uh, uh, high school? Oh, he went there? Yeah. So uh, we all truly adored Madonna. And, and like the first album is very good, but Like a Virgin is just fucking banger after banger i just got to interview nile rogers as a matter of fact oh and we, we talked a lot about that holy um, shit now what what did you uh, interview nile rogers for um there kind of wasn't a reason except <laughs> that like there's now a new sort of section in the magazine where where it's it really is just like who's interesting that we want right. to talk to. And it doesn't have to be pegged to anything that they have coming out or whatever. Um, and he's just kind of always down to talk. So, um, so I zoomed with him from his, uh, from, you know, his platinum record room in his, in his home in Connecticut. Wow. Um, and he couldn't have been, couldn't have been nicer, but yeah, his whole thing was like every producer wanted to push her toward, working with drum machines and making it a purely kind of electronic experience. And he was like, she is one of a kind. I, those all sound the same every time, you know, if you put a drum machine, it's always gonna sound like a drum machine. Why don't we let chic be the backing band? And, uh, and so they did and it fucking exploded. And he, he personally thinks like a virgin is the weakest track on the album. But it was fucking huge, oh, and huge. it changed the culture. And yeah. just 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 to walk through the mall on a Saturday and see every other girl dressed. Now they dress like Kardashians. Then they dress like Madonna. Yeah. Some version of the fishnet stockings with the mm-hmm. black skirts and a the Forenza sweater that's too big and hanging off one shoulder, <laughs> um, like a a rag tied in a bow uh, through the hair. It was an easy look to to do, yeah. hard look to do well, but an easy look to do. Oh God, God damn it, was she huge? Well, you know who else was huge in the year of our Lord, nineteen eighty four. Tell me. Nineteen eighty four is the sixth studio album by American hard rock band Van Halen. It was released on January 9th, nineteen eighty four. It was the last Van Halen studio record until A Different Kind of Truth in 2012 came out to feature Diamond David Lee Roth on lead vocals. Mm-hmm. He left the band in 1985 after a monstrous tour because of creative differences between him and the goddamn Van Halen brothers. Mm-hmm. Singles on 1984 include Panama, Hot for Teacher, I'll Wait, and of course, Jump. Oh, my God, St. Louis loves Van Halen. St. Louis loves Van Halen. They love Van Halen. Um, you know, uh, this is not, this is later, but uh, recently for Access TV, I interviewed Sammy Hagar, and uh, and he was like, and I told him I was from St. Louis, and he's like, oh, you're from St. Louis, you love me. Because <laughs> St. Louis is a big classic rock town, yes, that, and yes. whenever Sammy plays, like people really do come out. Like for whatever reason, there is this wild Sammy Hagar fan base in St. Louis, right? And like, yeah, I don't dislike him, but like that was presumptuous of you, <laughs> Sammy Hagar. I mean, it's like okay. there's only one way to rock was number one in St. Louis for a yeah. month in 1981. Yeah. Wild, <laughs> but yeah. So uh, yeah, this you know I I was I think I I was. Uh, I had a little Van Halen fear because, you know, heavy metal kids terrified me a little bit. 
Um, I, I was still, it's wild to look back and think like Def Leppard was a little bit scary just cause they, they had like right. angular, you know, logos and shit. And like heavy metal was like the devil's music and whatever. Um, but like Van Halen is just such a breezy, fun, friendly, like California. This album especially is just so it's, I, I don't think I ever bought it, but it was one of those that I didn't need to cause it was everywhere I went everywhere and, uh, yeah yeah um but yeah i fucking love panama oh summer of 1984 panama everywhere it's god that takes me back i'll i'll tell you where it takes me back i've said this story on the podcast before but it bears repeating i have a thing about when the jocks discover your band oh, yeah. it's over the jocks really came to van halen with 1984 they they messed around with it on diver down because mm. there were some pop songs Dancing mm-hmm. in the Streets and Pretty Woman and all that. And that was jock accessible. They weren't yeah. really there before. I was there before because I saw Van Halen on the 1980 tour and the, uh-huh. the Fair Warning tour in 1981 uh, in Albuquerque. But 1984, my friend Bill Myers' uh, mom was able to get us into Tingley Coliseum in Albuquerque, New Mexico early. It was general admission. We, she worked on the State Fair Commission or somehow she was associated with the building so we got to go inside before they open the doors and pick our seats. What? I think you're going to love this story. We got to yeah, pick our seats. It. So it's a rodeo arena. It seats 10,000 people. We pick, uh, I can't do exit stage left or right. I have no idea. We're on the, we're on Eddie's side. That would be on the, what I would call the right side of the arena. Looking at the uh-huh. stage, we were in the box, a box of like 10 seats, just right there, right off the fr- floor, prime stuff. We told every kid at school that we were going to save seats. Yeah. Which meant that of course, every kid at school took their goddamn time getting to Tingley that night. Course. So here are me and Bill Meyer and Ryan Smith, my brother, who Dave went to college with. Yeah, I sure did. The three little dudes, because I'm in 10th grade, three little guys holding 10 of the most prime general admission seats oh, no. in the arena. And the place is filling up and I'm sweating bullets and a huge jock from oh. Sandia High School wearing his fucking Not Letterman jacket guy. and his blonde haired girlfriend came and sat down right in the middle of our thing. <laughs> And there was nothing I could do about it. I tried to like huff and puff. And uh, he looked at me and he literally said the words, is this cool? And meaning that uh, your next answer is going to decide whether or not I punch your face off. Wow. You know what I mean? And I said, I said, it's cool. It sucks, but it's cool. Uh, now uh, people did show up. But I wasn't able to see everybody, but I mean, Van Halen, 1984 fucking Fucking Ugh. giant, giant, massive. To me, that's probably that's, the soundtrack of the San Fernando Valley in 1984. I can't. Record. I I can only imagine what it must have been like to be out here in 1984. As a matter of fact, I think I think we visited. It, we did. It was it was the summer of 1984. Uh, my family came out here oh. uh, for a few days, um, and uh, with one of my aunts. And we stayed at the Beverly Hills hotel and, and my parents got like one of those star maps. We (laughs) went and saw like, Hey, Sid Charisse lived here and you know, George Goebel lives there and whatever. And we did all that. And I remember driving through, um, driving the sunset strip in the middle of the day. Um, and I think, I think we got to, to go to tower records, which is a huge big deal. Yeah. Um, cause they got, they got, 
45s that the record bar is never going to get. Right. And, uh, and a whole import section, just like it's there, they're going deep. That was my, that was my happy place. And I remember, um, some kid in very bright clothing, literally dancing across the street, across Sunset Boulevard <laughs> at like sweets or, or whatever that is like real, like with a, with a, uh, Walkman on just fully dancing joyously. And I was like, that's, that is the, that is the lifestyle I want. That's, that's who I want to be looking back cocaine, obviously, but, like, <laughs> uh, but at the time it was just like, this is just pure Southern California joy. And I want a piece of it. Well, the thing about living here as I've lived here for so long is you will always see people being extras in their own movie. Sure. Like people do things here as if they're extras in a movie. Yeah. You know, and it was that guy's turn to dance across the street because you could cut that into the opening montage in pretty woman. Sure. Why not? <laughs> right. You Why can not? cut that into uh, the first early scenes in Valley girl where Nicholas cage takes what's her face into Hollywood. And oh, yeah. look, there's a guy dancing across Hollywood Boulevard with a Walkman on. Yeah. Listen, shit's been very performative for a long time. <laughs> Social been... media has really been here for longer than we think. Okay. Now here's a band coming up. Oh my God. I am hoping I am praying to the Lord baby Jesus Christ, that Dave Holmes had a pin featuring this band on uh, his little jacket there mm -hmm. in 1984. The Unforgettable Fire is the fourth studio album by Irish rock band U2. It was produced by Brian Eno and Daniel Lenoir and released on October 1st, 84. Pride in the Name of Love was released as the album's lead single in September of 84, and it was at that point the band's biggest hit. It cracked the UK Top 5 and the US Top 40, and it would ultimately become the group's most frequently played song in concerts. U2 is coming so hard in 1984. We, Those of us who are music nerds, we have watched Red Rocks. And we are primed and ready for what U2 is going to release when they give us unforgettable fire. I know you had to have been there. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, you know, having having college-aged brothers when I'm like 12, 13, it really was a stroke of luck because there was so much good music coming back in, in record crates from them uh, that I would, anytime they left the house, I would just raid them and so war from U2 was a record that i was like i, I this is incredible i love what this is um and no and nobody else knew it that was like that would have been sixth grade for me so like no, and nobody else like if i you know i like put it on a max l tape and stuck it in my walkman and like whatever and i was like you guys are, you know what this is like, that's, a, <laughs> that's a great feeling it's a great feeling it's the best feeling it's the best feeling. It's why we do it. It is. I don't know that there is a better feeling. Yeah. Um, I wish, I honestly wish I could feel that feeling again. You know, like it's, that is one of those that, you know, time robs you of a little bit. Um, that's my dog making that noise. Um, so, uh, yeah. So when the unforgettable fire came out, there was, it wouldn't get played on commercial radio in St. Louis still, but there was a, there was, a, um, not quite a public radio station, but like just this little tiny 
like 10 watt radio station um, a couple miles away from me out in the suburbs in St. Louis called KYMC. And they played like the cool music. They would play tracks from war and stuff. And, and, uh, and I listened to that, like when the, when the weather was right. And, uh, and I, and they, they played pride in the name of love. And I called and I requested it over and over and over. Um, I think I got that album for Christmas. I definitely got it. Um, and it was, you know, I mean, I was like, this is, this is epic. And you want to talk about jocks getting into a band that you love when, uh, Joshua tree was released in 1987 and we were all like sophomores, juniors, uh, all the cool kids got really into you too. All the kids who gave me shit for like, liking these bands that nobody knew about that I secretly was like, I don't care that you're giving me shit because that's, this is what I do. Um, they all of a sudden just liked them and didn't thank me. <laughs> <laughs> like, I feel like I deserved some credit. I got none. Um, but yeah, that's a, that bad is a jam off of that record. Oh. Um, yeah, I, I'm, that's epic. It does get forgotten because of Joshua tree. I, th- I think it gets lost in between war and Joshua tree. Except for pride, like the rest of it, I think does get overlooked. Well, it's. I mean, I I, I will fight anyone on. I, you know, I know that Bono bumps people, and I know that modern day U two bumps people. But I mean, if, for those of us who got to experience them in the eighties, mm-hmm. um, holy Christ! I mean, they were just. Um, it was a religious experience seeing them live, mm-hmm. and they were fucking incredible. Let me. Can I tell re- you? That, yes. Um, because of the back cover of that album. Yes. For years. I thought uh, Bono's full name was Bono Vox. Nah. Uh-huh, right. Because it says Bono yes. Vox, meaning right. vocals, and then the edge guitar and whatever. I didn't think the edge's name was the edge guitar, but for whatever reason, I thought it was like Bono, Bono Vox, Vox right. is, is our leader, and then the edge plays guitar and whatever. I, it didn't, that didn't occur to me that Vox meant vocals. Right. Um, so I thought... So I referred to him as Bono Vox. For I, I, I think you're not alone in that. I think that there were a number of other people that felt the same way because it seemed like Bono Vox, that's your new wave name in 1980, yeah, right? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. He that showed up at school one day and he just said, hey, everybody, I'm not Paul anymore. I'm, I'm Bono Vox. Bono Vox. Yeah. Right? I would buy it. I would right. buy it. <laughs> I would buy it too. Yeah. Um, let me, as we kind of round third base here, Dave Holmes, let me just throw out, there were so many fucking records that came out in this uh, year. Let me just list some of the other records that came out. And if anything sparks anything in your mind, tell me to stop, but I'm okay. just going to start reading well, it's all going to, so. right now. Iron Maiden, Power Slave. Well, no. <laughs> the Cars, Heartbeat City. Bought it with my own money. In excess, the swing. Bought it with my own money. <laughs> Dio, the last in line. Did not buy that one. <laughs> Thompson Twins into the gap. Bought it with my own money. Shaw Day Diamond Life. Uh never owned it, but loved it. <laughs> Rat out of the cellar. Sure. Featuring just realized just learned that it was Tawny Katane on the cover. I Tawny Katane on the cover. May she rest in peace. Sure Scorpions love it first sting. I didn't didn't have it, but Rocky Like a Hurricane is undeniable. Well, just have to make it with someone I choose. That's the best line ever. <laughs> ever. Private dancer, Tina Turner. Holy Christ. Yes. yes. Nineteen eighty-four. What a wild thing that so many young people were snapping up this album by this forty-five year old woman. It was insane. Here's a middle-aged lady, basically yeah. in 1980s terms, come back to just just take take the music industry by fucking storm and say, yes. "I'm back." Yeah, yeah. I have a dancer. 
That it's came out in crazy. 1984. Rush, Grace Under Pressure. Sure. R.E.M. Reckoning. Got it from Columbia House. <laughs> oh, God. Yep. I was uh, J. Tiberius Kirk, as in James Tiberius Kirk. Very smart. Very uh, smart. And um, Colonel Steve Austin on um, Columbia Very House smart. Records. I owe them probably $1,000. I was not smart enough to do that, (laughs) or my parents wouldn't let me. The Smiths' first record came out in 1984. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. Let me tell you something. Tell tell Uh, me. The record, going to record bar, uh, I I was in there and I got to know, you know, the guy behind the counter sort of, like not, you know, personally or whatever, but I became a familiar face there. And I think he got a sense for what I did and did not like or would and would not like. And he was like, you want to hear something? And he put on How Soon Is Now, uh, which they had on, on 45. And... I was like, and my world was changed in that moment. I was just like, this is, I'm afraid of it and I'm turned on by it. And it's speaking to me in a way that like, I can't deny, but I can't explain. That was, that was the shit. That was like the second or third time you've, you've mentioned a song scaring you and exciting you at the same time. Is that kind of the vibe that you're going for Dave Holmes to be scared by something a little bit? I guess, I guess that's it. I don't know. I mean, I guess that is, that is a way to get my attention is to freak me out a little bit. Also, I mean, I guess, I guess it, it, it doesn't hurt that, you know, at the time and still kind of now I was afraid of literally everything. So (laughs) um, I bet you were afraid of Metallica ride the lightning in 1984. So much so I've still never heard it. (laughs) St. Louis loves Metallica. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. I don't. I don't. And I know I, to- I totally understood. It's a problem in my relationship a little bit because Ben loves them. And I and I will acknowledge, obviously, they are super talented, but I just don't like the noise that they make. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, they, I, I, they, I, they also take themselves so seriously and I just can't. I can't. Get at, the, at the time, they were the edge of Told the Story on the podcast, took Laura Gregg to Ozzy and Metallica in 1986, Tingley Coliseum. And that was the edge that when they came on. Uh, the look on her face when James Hetfield turned to the crowd before singing Seek and Destroy and said, if the guy next to you isn't singing this song, grab him by the throat and rip his lungs out. Okay. Wow. Some of the final records in this list of amazing records released in 1984. Deep Purple, Perfect Strangers, Tingley Coliseum, of course. Mm-hmm. Depeche Mode, Some Great Reward. Mm-hmm. Who's produced in arcade? The replacements, let it be. Don Henley building the perfect beast. Wham! Columbia make <laughs> Columbia House. You bought you bought uh, building the perfect beast on Columbia House. Yeah, I think it was in my introductory shipment of uh, six albums for just one penny. My rule was, I don't. I like the one song on this record, but I don't want to spend a lot. That's how I would buy stuff on uh, on Columbia House. Yeah. Like, I would pay it. for what I loved. I would pay yeah. for the new Iron Maiden record. I would pay for the new Judas Priest record. I know you had Rob Halford on your Homophilia podcast. Sure so did. Jealous about that. Sure Holy did. Christ. But that was he's my a, rule for Columbia House. Sweet lamb. Uh, wham, make it big. Bought it with my own money. And Twisted Sister, stay hungry. Mm. didn't <laughs> yeah, yeah. own it but do love the singles <laughs> listen uh, to this the great of all these incredible records that came out in 1984 i, yeah. I i'll just quiz you i don't want to quiz you i don't want to do a, a jimmy pardo uh-huh. um uh quiz for you but do you think you can name the song of the grammy song of the year mm. 
and or the album of the year? Because the answers are pretty fucking mind-blowing with all this incredible music. Uh, it would almost have to be Lionel Richie, right? Did this is See, this is why I said at the top of the show, I will always see the high ground to I would not have answered that question correctly. No. Uh, Cancel Down was released in late 1983. And yes, uh-huh. Dave Holmes, it was the album of the year. I mean, what was, come on. What was the song of the year? The song of the year was What's Love Got to Do With It? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was good. But yeah, no, uh, Lionel Richie, you know, the, the Bruno Mars of his moment, um, was, is just like designed to make Grammy voters vote for him. You know? Amazing. Like it's, he's, he's the safe, the safe choice. Uh, but all a bunch of uh, Born in the USA was nominated. Uh, uh-huh. Purple Rain was nominated. Sure. So there were heavy records that year. But Lionel Richie walked away. Oh, my God. It would be impossible to describe to people how huge he was. Yeah. Even though he's still kind of a legend. But his success, you know, Bruce is still releasing shit. Yeah. You know, Prince released so much more music after that. Yeah. Lionel Richie didn't like, you know, it wasn't a, a yearly event that Lionel Richie had a new record or anything. No, like that, he, he had like, yeah, a good four years where he just dominated. dominated. Um, what, who was best new artist that year? Released in late 1983. She's so unusual. Cindy Lauper. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. That yeah. makes sense. That makes sense. Um, you know, uh, f- forgotten in all of this is for me the song of 1984, which is "Head Over Heels" by the Go Go's. <laughs> that is jam. not that is not an album that people like remember fondly, but I love it. Yeah, um, and that song is just so goddamn good. Well, I think what I'll do, Dave Holmes, I think I'll play us out with Head Over Heels by the Go-Go's because uh, our time is up. Oh, man. Dude, all you did was crush it. A podcast doesn't need to be more than than 60 minutes long. This is what I would be doing anyway. (laughs) So just, you know, put a microphone in front of me. Um, yeah, this is, these are, these are the conversations that I love to have. So thank you for inviting me. I'm just so grateful that you took the time out of your day to play the silly game of the Brando dance with me and to talk about this colossal year and music 1984. Is there anything that you want to promote or throw out there? You know, where can we find you? Uh, What's coming down the pike? What are you up to lately? Uh, I'm always doing stuff that I'm promoting, follow me on Twitter at Dave Holmes or on Instagram at Dave Holmes. And I will not be shy about plugging my stuff. Um, I'm, uh, I'm still doing homophilia with my friend, Matt McConkie, which is a fun little, uh, LGBTQ podcast. Um, I just had Clea Duvall on who's fantastic. Um, and yeah, just follow me on the old, uh, Twitters uh, and on Esquire.com. Yes, and everyone, go read that new piece. Of course, it's called The Summer of 2021 will be The Summer of Butter, mm-hmm. written by the amazing Dave Holmes. So, dude, oh, thank, thank you, you, thank you. Thank you, Brandon. You're so welcome. And to the rest of you, thank you so much for liking, listening, subscribing, telling your friends about the Brando cast. We're growing. So many great guests coming down the line and of course the brando cast is produced by mr richard cheltinga so until the next time cats and kittens Anywhere.